text this morning is Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. And the title of our message is Submission to God's Authority. Submission to God's Authority. The title reflects the theme of the passage this morning. And that that is this. Submission, or submitting to the governing authorities, namely the state. Now it's a timely text for us, because in just a little bit over a week from now, we will be involved in a major midterm election. That's November 4th, Tuesday. I'm sure you've received flyers in the mail. I've received many. I'm sure you've seen advertisements on the television. In our state, there is a crucial gubernatorial race going on right now, and a race for congressional seats that will determine the future of our nation. Much is on the line, and it's very important for us to vote. Next week, we're going to provide you with some voter guides next Sunday so that you can be prepared and informed. But as we prepare to vote, church, we need to do so with a clear biblical view of the state, of the governing authorities for whom we will vote. Now, what does this have to do with the sermon title, Al? How does this have anything to do with submission to God's authority? What does our midterm election have to do with submitting to God? It has everything to do with submission to God's authority. Because the Bible teaches us that it is God who rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Daniel chapter 4, verse 25b says the following, Till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Whomever is elected on November the 4th as governor of of the state of Florida will be elected not primarily as a result of his force of personality or his policy, or his campaign strategy, or his financing. Oh, those certainly are key secondary issues, to be sure. But the primary cause is God's will. God will have appointed him using the agency of man. Our text is about how to relate to the governing authorities whom God has instituted by his authority. That is why the title is Submission to God's Authority. Authority is very much the theme of our text and at the heart of what God wants to speak to us today. So here are two questions to drive God's word to us today. First question, do we share God's view of governing authorities, the state? You may say to me, Al, I'm not sure I fully understand God's view of governing authorities. I'm still trying to digest what you just said, that God is the one who gives the state of Florida to either Charlie Crist or Rick Scott on Tuesday, November the 4th. Should I even vote? Oh, by all means, yes. That's exactly what this text is about. You must do your civic duty, submitting to the governing authorities, but by all means, voting. Voting on those whom God has chosen. Which leads us to the second question. Do we submit to governing authorities? That is to say, the state. 
Now, some may be thinking, okay, Al, is this message to be a guilt trip about my speeding, about fudging on my taxes, or my constant complaining about government? I don't think I want to go there. But we must go there, church, because God leads us there in this text. Remember that God began this section back in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, with the command for us to present our bodies as living sacrifices, to to worship him with minds renewed with the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that we might approve his will, discerning his will, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's review that text again. Romans 12, 1 and 2 on the screen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't think about the upcoming election the way the world does. Don't relate to governing authorities the way the world does. No, no, no. Be conformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Not just discern it, church, but also do it by God's grace. See, I think our text today renews our minds so we can discern God's good, acceptable, and perfect will when it comes to governing authorities, to elections, to the state, so that we might present our bodies as living sacrifices. We might worship God and be dedicated to God in every aspect of life, for He is Lord of all. So that we might submit to His authority. Romans 13, 1-7 describes God's will with respect to how Christians are to relate to the governing authorities. So let's read it, shall we? Romans 13, 1. Are you there? Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then stop speeding on the palmetto. Oh, I'm sorry, that wasn't there. Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Verse 4. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. After reading that, we need to pray. Lord, I stand confessing that I often complain against government. Particularly during tax season. Forgive me, Lord. You didn't just write this to the first century church in Rome that was going through oppressive taxation, 
by Caesar, but you wrote it to the 21st century church in Miami Lakes. We want to worship you and serve you and present our bodies as living sacrifices. It is what you are due. It is the right thing to do. And we want to discern your will. Open our ears, our hearts, our minds. By your spirit, encourage us. Lord, to obey by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. About a year ago, one of my family members received a ticket for going too slowly, yes, I said too slowly, in the left-hand lane of I-75. They were actually going the speed limit, but the trooper claimed they were blocking the left lane. We went to court hoping to fight the ticket, waiting our turn, hearing case after case, coming before the judge, each one cited for exceeding the speed limit, some by 20, 30, even 40 miles an hour over the speed limit. Then it was my family member's turn. The judge hesitated, speaking in confused tones, reading the charge slowly. Clearly, this was unusual. Cited for going too slowly in the left-hand lane. The judge paused and looked up almost apologetic. My family member asked what the procedure would be to challenge the citation because they said, and they were right, they actually were going the speed limit. And the judge again apologetically said, since it was the trooper's word against theirs, if the trooper showed up at the court case, they would lose and they would have to pay court costs and incur points. My family member reluctantly entered a plea. The judge was very gracious, giving the minimum fine, no points, and basically all but saying, I'm so sorry. I was not celebrating the governing authorities that day, complaining bitterly that the trooper must have been having a bad day and simply took it out on my family member. Now fast forward to about two months ago. I was called out in the very early hours of the morning, and as I left my driveway, I saw a suspicious car parked across the street. Knowing that my wife and daughter were asleep in the house, I called the police and asked them to send a cruiser to investigate. I was celebrating governing authorities that early morning, thanking God that they were there to protect my family. Here's the question. How do we view the governing authorities in our land? That's the first question God asks us. And actually, as we read this text, we need to ask ourselves a question. Point one. Do we share God's view of governing authorities or the state? Do we share God's view of governing authorities, the state? Though this passage is not meant to be a definitive teaching on church and state, it is meant to be a definitive command for us to be subject to the governing authorities. Look at Romans 13.1 again, please. There it is. First part of that verse. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Every person, every soul, be subject to the governing authorities. Now, this word authorities or authority is used five times in these seven verses. And each time it comes from the Greek word exousia. So who are these governing authorities? Well, they're the state and their authorized representatives. So let's take a look at God's view of governing authorities, God's view of the state, and compare it to our view of the state to see if they match. See, the text reveals something here. The text reveals that it is God. God gives the state its authority and its ministry. God gives the state its authority and its ministry. And before we investigate that claim in the text, I want to ask you a question. 
Is that how you view the state? Do you view its authority and ministry as God-given? All right, so let's take a look at sub-point one under point one. God gives the state its authority. We find this primarily in verses one to three. Three times Paul affirms the state's God-given authority. Look at verse 1b, please. Verse 1b. For there is no authority except from God. Look at verse 1c. And those that exist, that is the authorities, have been instituted by God. And then drop down to verse 2a. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed. Three times. There's no authority except for from God. God has instituted the authorities that exist, and God has appointed the authorities that exist. All, all Paul is doing here is reflecting the Old Testament teaching that we rehearsed in the introduction. That which is what Daniel communicated. That it is God that rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. But it's not just Daniel that said that in the Old Testament. King Solomon, I love that name, Solomon. King Solomon, in Proverbs 8.15, said the following, verses 15 and 16. By me, now this is Solomon quoting God, so this is God speaking. By me, says God, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. Verse 16. By me, says God, princes rule and nobles who have all who govern justly. See, not only is God sovereign over human governments and gives them to whom he wills, November 4th. But it is by his wisdom that kings rule and princes govern. These these truths on governing authorities were revolutionary, especially, especially to the members of the church in Rome, the very seat of authority for the empire. This truth had profound implications for the members of the first century church in Rome as they adopted God's view of the state's authority. Coming from God and not coming from Caesar. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And their Lord Jesus commanded them to submit to the governing authorities of the Roman Empire. And this truth has profound implications for members of the 21st century church here in Miami Lakes as we adopt God's view of the state's authority coming from God, not from man. The state is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And our Lord Jesus commands us to submit to the governing authorities of the state of Florida. Whoever is elected on November the 4th, whether it's your guy or not. And to the governing authorities of the United States of America as citizens of this great country. Do you believe that no authority exists except from God? Do you believe that those that exist have been instituted by God? Do you believe that God has appointed the authorities that exist? Do you? Here's the application. If so, then, ask yourself this. How do I relate to those authorities whom God has appointed? Do I find myself resisting them, complaining about them? And if so, could I be guilty of resisting God and complaining against God. Not only does God give the state its authority, dear friends, he also gives the state its ministry. What? Ministry? Yes, ministry. Sub-point two. 
God gives the state its ministry. Three times, primarily in verses 4 to 7, Paul affirms the state's God-given ministry. Please look at verse 4a. For he, the governing authority, the state, is God's servant for your good. This word translated servant in the English comes from the Greek word diakonos. We get the word deacon from it. We get the word minister from it. That's used primarily for someone ministering in the church. So what is the ministry God has entrusted the state? Well, it concerns good and evil, church. Throughout Romans 12 and 13, this theme of good and evil is prominent. In fact, in your Bibles, look back at 12.9. Right after saying, let love be genuine, Paul says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Look at 12.17. Corey preached this last week. 12.17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable or good in the sight of all. And then look at 12.21. The title of Corey's message last week. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then bleeding into 13.3b, we just read this, 13.3b, then do what is good and you will receive his reward, the reward of the governing authority. And then 13.4, for he is God's servant for your good. And then 4b, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. And actually, 13.4b goes with C, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So what do we see here? This idea of good, which is to be rewarded by the governing authority of the state, and bad, which is to be punished by God's governing authority and the state. As a matter of fact, in 14C, excuse me, in 4C, where it says that he carries the sword. Do you see that? He's the servant of God, an avenger who who carries out the wrath of God. The sword of God. That sword represents the state's right to bring forth capital punishment. We know from Genesis 9, 6, the capital punishment is permitted when someone takes the life of, 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 a, of a creation of God, of, of one who is created in the image of God in Genesis 9, 6, then his life is to be taken. But it's only the state that has that right. It teaches us that only the state has the right to execute vengeance, the vengeance of God, the wrath of God for wrongdoing. Individuals do not have that right. Corey preached it very well last week. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, not ours. The wrath the state executes on the wrongdoer's is God's wrath. That's what proper civil authorities do. Pour out God's wrath on the evildoer. Now listen, we're going to get to this in a moment. We know it doesn't happen perfectly. We know that. But it does happen. And every time it happens, every time justice is meted out, it's a little picture of the end time justice when Jesus will return and every wrong will be righted and all justice will be fulfilled That day. So every little bit of justice this day points to that day. Just like every little bit of worship this day points to the great day of worship on that day. 
Every healing this day points to the day where there's no more sickness. Every joy this day points to that final day of glory in Christ. So, with the wrath of God, that only the state can pour out on wrongdoing. But you may be asking me, okay, Al, I I see here that the minister, the governing authority, his ministry is to reward good and punish evil. What if that governing authority does just the opposite and reverses the roles? What if that governing authority now begins to punish good and reward evil? And, And I say that with a broken heart because many of you in this church are in this country because that's exactly what you experienced in your country. A corrupt government, instead of rewarding good and encouraging good, punishes it. And instead of punishing evil, encourages it. And even our own country today, sadly, with tears in my eyes, is rewarding things that are evil, speaking good of them, and punishing things that are good, speaking evil of them. All right, Al, what about that? How does this passage line up? How are they ministers of God? How are they servants of God? They're not. Remember, Paul knew what he was writing. Paul's writing to a people that have never experienced Christian leaders. Not yet. This is early in the life of the church. Every leader pretty much is going to be a pagan. Paul knows the injustice in the Roman Empire. But what Paul is giving us is the divine ideal. Paul is giving us a peek into that last day. He knows that the reality is not always going to jive with the divine, the the, the human reality is not going to jive with the divine reality. As a matter of fact, in Scripture, we have a parody of Romans 13 in Revelation 13. Don't go there. But what you see in Revelation 13 is Satan mocking governing authorities, using them as his servants, doing evil things against God's people. Whereas Romans 13, God's will is that governing servants, governing authorities would be his servants. As John Stott said, the state is a servant of the devil or of God, depending on what kinds of laws it enacts and whether it remains in the limits God has marked out for it. But here, they are called servants twice already. And then look at verse 6. They're actually called ministers. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers. Now, the word there is not diakonos. The Greek word there is leiturgos. Leiturgos. It's actually the Greek word used to describe a priest. Someone who's doing priestly duties, ministering to the Lord. Well, here that word is used to describe governing authorities who minister. And what's their ministry? Well, keep reading in verse 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. What very thing? The services that government is supposed to give to its citizens who pay taxes for those services. Peace. Protecting their citizens. Order. Righteousness, promoting a society where good is promoted and evil is, is punished. They collect taxes and they provide those services. This is how God views the state. It's not always that way, but this is God's will. Is this how we view the state? Do we recognize the state's God-given authority and ministry? 
Do we pray for our governing authorities? Do we serve and support our governing authorities? And most importantly, point two, do we submit to governing authorities, the state? Because God gave the state its authority and ministry, we must, must submit to governing authorities as God commands us to in 13.1. Let's look at that verse again and read the entire verse this time. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For, here's why, there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And then Paul reiterates God's command in chapter 13, verse 5. Look at it with me. And it really gives us, again, the two reasons that we do this. Look at chapter 13, verse 5. Romans 13, 5. Therefore, One must be in subjection to governing authorities, not only to avoid God's wrath, that's the first reason, but also for the sake of conscience. We submit to governing authorities to avoid the wrath of God that those who resist his authorities, his authority justly deserve. But we don't just do it to avoid God's wrath. We do it for the sake of conscience because our consciences have now been informed by the word of God that that authority is there, instituted by God. If your conscience is is, is informed by the word of God, then do it for the sake of your conscience. If you didn't know this, you wouldn't be accountable to it. But our minds, our conscience are being informed by God's word. Now let's go back to avoid wrath. What does that mean? Well, I think, it mean, it can, I think it means both and. Short-term wrath, the punishment of the state, and I do think long-term, that final day of wrath. And the best way that I can illustrate this to you is what happens every time on the turnpike when I'm driving way down south to go visit somebody, and I'm late, and I'm pushing the speed limit, maybe a little bit, and suddenly I see brake lights in front of me, and I say to myself, aha, there's a state trooper on the right-hand side. Because everybody's slowing down to avoid the wrath of the state. When you lay off the accelerator, when you see that police officer, that's this verse right here. That's verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath. See, God's wrath is executed by God's servant, the state trooper, who's saying, slow down because I'm here for your safety. Ultimately for your good. Because if everybody's speeding and driving like a wild maniac, There's going to be accidents. People are going to die. But not just that. As Christians, we don't do it just for that. We also do it for the sake of conscience so that we can live a life that is exemplary. We can say, listen, I'm doing this because I know God put him there. I may not like him. There may be times where he pushes his authority like I think he did with my family member. That's okay. He'll answer to that before God, not me. But God put him there. My conscience has been informed. I want to give a testimony to my culture, to those around me, of a law-abiding citizen. Listen, that's why in verse 7, take a look at it. Paul says this, Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. See, it, it made sense for Paul to write this to the first century church in Rome because they had just experienced a huge tax increase by Caesar at that time, and they were complaining about it. It was an oppressive tax increase. Actually, interestingly, a few years later, Peter, writing his epistle, First Peter, remember Peter was the pastor of the church at Rome, 
writing in his epistle in 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17, he as well tells them to be subject to the state. And he specifically mentions the emperor. See, what both Paul and Peter are providing us is with discernment. What is your good, holy, and acceptable will, God? I am dedicated to you, so I'm going to fulfill that. I'm going to obey that. For the sake of Christ, for the sake of the testimony of the gospel. When I decided to put an addition onto my house, I wanted to create a huge back porch area that had one of these beautiful aluminum roofs that could withstand 150 mile an hour winds. We'll see about that. Hopefully, maybe we'll never see about that. <laughs> With a screened in porch. And I remember when the, when the company came and said, okay, Mr. Pino, great, we're going to do that for you, blah, 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 blah. Here we go, all right. And he put two bids down on, my, on the table in front of me. So what's going on here? Are you outbidding yourself? He said, no, no. No, Mr. Pino, here's what it'll cost you with permit. Here's what it'll cost you without permit. And when I looked at the numbers, I went, whoo, is that one half? Is this one half of that one? You know, and of course he's like, but I can't do that. My conscience won't let me do that anymore. Anymore. Uh, my conscience won't let me do that. Because this text tells me that I should pay and those, the revenues that are being asked of me, even if I think it's a bad system and those people don't care. Boy, that was an interesting place to go to pull permits. And even though it reminds me more of Cuba than the United States, the, you know, it doesn't matter. That's what I owe. That's the law of the land. It doesn't go against Christ. It may be an inconvenience. It may not even be wise, but that's not the criteria for me to say, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to look that guy in the eye and say, no, with permit. Because I'm a believer. Can I talk to you about Jesus without being self-righteous about it? I think he had done a bunch of them in our neighborhood. It was right after Wilma. And uh, he, he was just like, <laughs> yeah, I saw the car you drive. Back then I had the baby Lexus. Yeah, I had the baby Lexus. 200,000 mile Nissan Sentra, the old, the old school. I said, no, no, with permit, please. With permit. I want to submit to God's authority. I want to submit to the governing authorities as my submission to God, who is my ultimate authority. And this brings me to a very important qualifier to our submission to governing authorities. We hinted at it earlier when we spoke of the state reversing its God-given ministry. And instead of rewarding good and punishing evil, it starts rewarding evil and punishing good. Here's the question. Is there a time, is there a time when Christians disobey the state as a matter of conscience toward God? Here's the question. Does this command in Romans 13, 1 to 7, to submit to the state, require our unconditional obedience to the state. Here is the most recent edition of the World Magazine, dated November 1st, 2014. Inside, there is an article about the recent pro-democracy demonstrations in Hong Kong. Reading from this article, entitled, Decisive Moment, as protesters demand democracy in Hong Kong, churches there are divided over whether to support the marchers. Continuing to read from the article, starting September 26th, tens of thousands of dreamers, both young and old, inundated the island's main thoroughways to protest Beijing's tightening control over the region. 
Amid the undulating crowd, Pastor Wu and about 50 other pastors and seminary students took shifts standing with a 20-foot-tall white cross. They offer prayer, spiritual counsel, and advice to the protesters, quote, to demonstrate God's presence among them, unquote. Groups of Christians holding signs saying, quote, Lord, give us peace, unquote, gathered to read the Bible and sing hymns. Christians make up about one-fifth of Hong Kong's population and play a significant role in the democracy movement. Yet churches remain divided about how to respond to the restive political climate. No time to read it all. Please read it online. It's fascinating. I'll jump to this small paragraph. Some Christians cite chapter 13 of Romans to discredit the civil disobedience strategy of Occupy Central. You know what? We can get a lot closer to home than Hong Kong. We can get to Houston, Texas. This is an article from Russell Moore about what's going on in Houston. And let me read it to you, quoting from the article. Reports coming out of Houston today indicate, and by the way, this was written October 14th, so it's very recent. Reports coming out of Houston today indicate that city attorneys have issued subpoenas to pastors, pastors, who have been vocal op- in vocal opposition to the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance, a measure with deals with, that deals with gender identity and sexuality in public accommodations. The subpoenas issued to several pastors seek, quote, quoting from the subpoena, Pastor, I want all speeches, presentations, or sermons related to the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance, the petition, which they began to repeal it. Mayor Anise Parker, the first openly lesbian mayor of Houston. So any, any sermon that mentions her, homosexuality or gender identity, prepared by, delivered by, revised by, or approved by you or in your possession. Russell Moore, who, by the way, is the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, the moral and public policy agency of the nation's largest Protestant denomination, wrote the following. I am simply stunned by the sheer audacity of this. The preaching of sermons in the pulpits of churches is of no concern to any government bureaucrat at all. This country settled a long time ago with a First Amendment that the government would not supervise, license, or bully religious institutions. That right wasn't handed out by the government, amen to that, as a kind of temporary restraining order. It was recognition of a self-evident truth. A government has no business using subpoena power to intimidate or bully the preaching and instruction of any church, any synagogue, any mosque, or any other place of worship. The pastors of Houston should tell the government that they will not trample over consciences, over the First Amendment, and over God-given natural rights. And here's the one I want you to listen to and see if Romans 13 does not allow us to say this. The separation, quoting Russell Moore, the separation of church and state means that we will render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and we will. Pay your taxes. Try to do it with a smile on your face. But the preaching of the church of God does not belong to Caesar, and we will not hand it over to him. Not now, not ever. 
Doesn't this scripture say you can't do that? What about the churches in Hong Kong that are divided and cite Romans 13? Well, let me just tell you, I think this scripture allows us to do exactly what Russell Moore said. It allows for civil disobedience. As a matter of fact, all Russell Moore is doing is quoting, either directly or indirectly, from Scripture. In his article, Russell Moore referenced rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. He's just quoting Mark twelve seventeen. It's what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. As a matter of fact, it's probably that passage that Paul is thinking of when he says to the Roman Christians, pay your taxes. That's what our Lord said to do. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, but pay your taxes. And indirectly, in saying that civil disobedience, if the government is asking me to do something against God's word and against God's will and against God's sovereignty, if the government is putting itself in God's place, then I'm allowed to resist. I must resist. Here are some of the passages that Russell Moore may have been thinking about. Exodus 1.17 tells us that the midwives in Egypt, because they feared God, resisted the governing authority. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but let the male children lead, live. They did not kill the little Hebrew boys. Daniel 3.16-18 is one of my favorite passages ever. I hope I don't cry when I read this, but I hope, yeah, maybe I will. Who cares? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three Hebrew men who were told the king has decreed Nebuchadnezzar. By the way, God's going to speak to Nebuchadnezzar. He already did, actually, but he's going to speak to him again. And Nebuchadnezzar says, here's an image of me. Everybody's got to bow down and worship that image. I'm God. The state's always trying to play God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said they're not going to do it. And here's what they said to him. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Well, here's the matter. Everybody bowed down, and there's these three guys just standing there. Some of the people bound down are just going, like, Shh, get down, get down. And they're just standing there. The king says, either you bow down or I'm throwing, I'm going to burn you alive. I'm going to throw you in the hottest furnace of this kingdom. So that's when they say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I can tell you right now our answer. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Years later, the apostles, these humble fishermen, stood before the governing authorities of the Jewish nation. Acts 5, 27 and 29. And when they, the governing authorities, the Sanhedrin, brought them in, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. And this remains true for us today. There are limits to our submission to governing authorities. Doug Moo expresses those limits well in the following quote. Government does not have absolute rights over the believer. For government, like every human institution, is subordinate to God itself. You've got to grab that truth. The ultimate claim of God, 
who stands at the peak of the hierarchy of relationships in, in which the Christian is placed is always assumed. This means then that Christians may continue to submit in quotation marks to a particular government, even as they, in obedience to a higher authority, refuse to do in a given instance what that government requires. We will not abort babies. We will not stop preaching in Jesus' name. We will not adulterate God's word. Now, before you go all William Wallace on me, let me warn you that our hearts are to be submissive. This isn't a chance for you rabble-rousers to create problems. It's not because you don't like that guy's face or you don't like that lady or you don't like that, that, that policy is a, a bother to you. No, no, sir, no, ma'am. We're to be submissive. It's a hard attitude. Our mouths are to be gracious. Our hands are to be merciful. We should be paying the taxes. We should be doing the right things. Remember, vengeance is God's, not ours. And our goal is to make disciples with the gospel. That's why Paul tells us to pray for our leaders that we may be, lead peaceful lives so that we can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, Stott says this, and it's true. The gospel is equally hostile to tyranny and to anarchy, just doing whatever you want to do. We're not libertarians. We're not totalitarians. We're Christians. Here's the appeal. You know what it is. It's been all through the sermon. Here's God's command to us. Be subject to the governing authorities. What does that look like? What does it look like to be subject to the governing authorities? It means acknowledging that God instituted that authority for our good, even at times when they don't act that way. Pray for them. It means that they are ministers of God, servants of God. Listen, don't just tolerate the governing authorities. Don't have this low-grade, mumbly, grumbly attitude against them. That's just unbelief. But give thanks for them. And more importantly, pray for them. Actively perform your civic duty. Oh, get informed and go vote on November the 4th. Let's work to change things, yes, with a submissive heart. Let's pay our taxes. Let's give respect and honor to whom they are due. Worship God, my friends. Approve what is good and holy and acceptable in the face of all who are observing us so that we might make disciples with the gospel of all nations being subject to the governing authorities who are servants of God. Let us pray. Worship team, please join me up front. Lord, I realize that a sermon like this can challenge. In one sense, we've mixed the two things that no one ever wants to talk about, religion and politics. Lord, help us. Help us for the sake of testimony. Help us with the view that the kingdom of God is our kingdom. It's not of this world, but we do live in this world. And we provide a testimony. We're to do the most good we can do to the most people. And there are policies that do that better than others. But Lord, let our hearts be submissive and kind and respectful and honoring. Because all authority is from you. They are your servants. And Lord, when we suffer under regimes that have become servants of the devil rather than servants of God, may we do it with kindness in our heart. Our will steeled by the gospel and the hope of the resurrection. Even our brothers and sisters right now in countries where some of us came from or our parents came from who are suffering today. May the glory of Christ help them endure the suffering of this day. The glory of the age to come break into this age and comfort them. Jesus is Lord. 
It was that confession that caused many of our first and second century brothers to be martyred, brothers and sisters, to be horribly martyred and killed. It is that confession that makes us humble, submissive to governing authorities, bold as lions in the face of those who would oppose God. Blameless in this corrupt generation because of the blood of Jesus, because we we choose to obey by your power. Lord, as we sing this song, I I just want to say to you, I lay my life down to you. With my heart open wide, Lord, from the depths, from the height, I will bring a sacrifice to you. With these hands lifted high, Lord, we hang our, hear, hear our cry and our song. We will bring a sacrifice acceptable to you because of the blood of Jesus. In these areas, these very practical areas. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this confession and this commitment, church.